Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And today I was working a bit on my folders. I have four folders. The red is for Cubs pitching prospects. The blue is for Cubs hitting prospects. And the other two, which actually right now I'm not remembering what their colors are. One is for 2022 hitting prospects for the draft, and one is for 2022 pitching prospects for the draft. But today I ran into the Anderson Espinoza sheet, and I decided I wanted to go through the premise of reassessing a trade. One trade in particular. Anderson Espinoza for Jake Marisnik. Now, what a lot of people like to do is wait until 75 years after the trade, or 12 years after the trade, or let's see, how long ago was the Lou Brock trade? Yeah, you just, you, you, wait, you, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait. Oh, that was a dumb trade because it didn't work out. That's really an absurd way of looking at things. It's really an absurd way of looking at things because... You can make a perfectly good decision. You can make a perfectly good decision, but if it doesn't work out, it looks like it's a terrible move. A couple nights ago, David Ross went to the bullpen because his starter, I think it was Justin Steele, was getting a little bit tired. Um, possibly might have, no, 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 no. It was uh, Green, Andy Green, going to the bullpen. Justin Steele probably might have been left in a hitter or two too long, but you're trying to extend him. You're trying to develop him. A hitter or two one way or the other side, you, you understand it. Called on Cody Hoyer. Cody, Cody Hoyer has been fantastic all season, and he gives up two hits. Oh, as a Terrible move. No, it wasn't a terrible move. It was exactly the right move. It just didn't work. He gave up hits instead of getting out. So it looks like a terrible move, but really, it was exactly the proper move. It was exactly the move he should have done. He did exactly what he should have done. It just didn't work. And a lot of trades end up being like that. Everything makes sense. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I'm going to look at the Anderson Espinoza for Jake Marisnik trade and see if that is possibly one of those. And honestly, there's a bit of gray area. There is a bit of a gray area. But from the Cubs' perspective, it's a blowout. It's an absolute blowout because what the Cubs did, they traded a player in Jake Marisnik they acquired Jake Marisnik if the team was contending, if the team was competitive. Marisnik would be that kind of guy, would be the 25th, 26th guy on your roster. He'd play against left-handers. He'd pinch hit, pinch hit against left-handers. Get in here and there, play a little bit outfield, da-da-da, whatever. Got to be July Cubs started to look around their farm system. And frankly, the difference between Jake Marisnik 
and Michael Hermosillo. The difference between Jake Marisnik and Michael Hermosillo in mid to late July. There are two differences. Two differences and only two differences between Jake Marisnik and Michael Hermosillo. The differences were at the time it might have made sense to initially call up Michael Hermosillo. He was injured. He had about a 10-12 day period where he was out. He was injured. He was rounding second base. And I can't remember if it was uh, his hamstring or his quad or his something. But something is like just wasn't right. He rounded second and he went back to second. Stopped. Pinch hitter, uh, pinch runner came in and took his place. Michael Hermosillo, even though he was on the verge of getting called up to the major leagues. One difference between Michael Hermosillo and Jake Marisnik as the trade deadline approached was Jake Marisnik was healthy and Michael Hermosillo was not healthy. So when the Cubs decided, you know what? Jake Marisnik probably going to be healthy in about seven or eight days. So if we trade Jake Marisnik to the Padres, Michael Hermosillo probably comes up in about a week. We'll have a completely similar type of player. There was one other difference between Michael Hermosillo and Jake Marisnik. Jake Marisnik is a free agent at the end of the season. Michael Hermosillo has team control. So what the Cubs ended up doing, they traded a player who was going to be a free agent and retained a player who was going to still have team control. Kind of, boy, that really sounds a whole lot like the Jack Peterson trade, doesn't it? Trade Jack Peterson. Instead of having Jack Peterson, you plug in Rafael Ortega. Now, there's no way that the Cubs knew that Rafael Ortega was going to play as well as he did. No way they knew that. But in trading Peterson away, they gave Ortega, Rafael Ortega, a chance to show how good he was. How good is he? We'll find out eventually. He's doing quite well right now, though. And the Jack Peterson trade from the Cubs' perspective looks fantastic, as does the Jake Marisnik trade to San Diego. And I haven't even talked about the guy they're getting back because the Cubs traded Jake Marisnik Gave Michael Hermosillo all of his at-bats. Now Michael Hermosillo gets to prove, does he deserve a 40-man roster spot or not? I still have him center column. I still have him, have him center column. Um, he might be, he might not be. If he has a good last, whatever it is, four weeks, um, he very well could have a roster spot into 2022. So basically... I've talked about the Cubs jettisoning Jake Marisnik, plugging in Michael Hermosillo, and they've already improved themselves by doing that. Already by just making the trade, they made themselves more logically prepared for the future. Even if what they would have gotten back was a half-eaten bean burrito. The Jake Marisnik trade 
would have been fine because Michael Hermosillo makes a lot more sense for the Cubs in 2021 than Jake Marisnik because Michael Hermosillo, if the Cubs decide, hey, we want to keep you around, they can keep him around. Now, let's look at from the Padres' side. When you're making an aggressive trade, what the Cubs made was not an aggressive trade. The Padres made an aggressive trade, a predatory trade, whichever way you want to look at it, an aggressive trade, a predatory trade. They gave future for now, the future for now. And if you make a future for now trade, there are three ways that I can think of that you can lose a trade. Three ways that you can lose a trade if you're making an aggressive, predatory trade. One, if you misread what you're getting. If you misread what you're getting, let's say the Cubs at some point in the future make a trade in July. They bring in a starting pitcher. He's going to be the guy that's going to take them there. And they're quite confident down the stretch, he's going to get them 15 starts. 15 starts. Probably 11 or 12 of them are going to be quality starts. And he will be the number two guy in the postseason run. They bring him in. That is the expectation. Fair? He comes out. He pitches three games blows out his hamstring, then later blows out his elbow, provides absolutely no value. They misread what they were getting. It made sense. It really did make sense, but they misread what they were getting. When the San Diego Padres brought in Jake Marisnik, they thought they were getting a player who would make perfect sense as that 25th to 26th man, who plug into the outfield, use him against lefties, lefty masher, use him late in the game, da-da-da-da-da-da, get regular use out of Jake Marisnik. That was the plan. That was the goal. I jotted down Jake Marisnik's, Marisnik's numbers for San Diego. 15 games, 26 plate appearances, 24 at-bats, 2 runs, 3 hits, 2 RBIs, 1 walk, 11 strikeouts, and a hit-by-pitch. His slash line, 125 batting average, 192 on base, 125 slugging, an OPS of .317. His OPS plus as of this morning on baseball reference was minus eight. Minus eight. No, 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 not not you know 78 or 104 or 93 or 58 or not minus eight. This is OPS plus. That's not good. If the Padres thought they were going to be getting someone who was going to contribute. 
they misread the field. They just completely misread the field. Um, I would not have expected Mariznik to be this bad. But looking at the Mariznik case, looking at the Mariznik case, if teams are going to be interested in players like Jake Mariznik into the future, if teams are going to be interested in, like, in players like Jake Mariznik on into the future, if the Cubs are ever in a situation where either of these happen, either of these happen, either of these happen, they're probably not going to make the playoffs, and they might want to position themselves for July trades. Hey, we, we don't want that to happen very often. We really don't want that to happen very often. But occasionally, it's going to happen. You just know, you know, there are just going to be those years where, yeah, it didn't work. It just didn't work. Um, if the Cubs are going to be in that sort of a situation, it's generally a very fantastic idea to have a couple things going on, a couple things going on, a couple things going on. Somebody like Jake Marisnik to trade in July. Have somebody like a Jake Marisnik. Could be a left-handed hitter, could be a right-handed hitter, could be an infield, could get somebody who has that um that cash, that marquee uh respect across the league. Somebody is gonna want Jake Marisnik because somebody's always gonna want this year it was San Diego that wanted Jake Marisnik. But it could have been Atlanta, could have been could have been any number of teams. Is San Diego. It's fantastic to have a guy on your roster who, hey, if everything completely flipping falls apart, we're going to trade this guy in July. We're going to trade this guy in July. Get something back for him. Just get something back for him. And another thing that's kind of a nice thing to do, if you can set it up, if you can do it, if you can pull it off, have a guy in AAA. Have a guy in AAA who's just like Jake Marisnik or who's just like the Jake Marisnik guy you're going to want to trade, except the Jake Marisnik guy that you're putting in AAA is going to have team cost control like Michael Hermosillo did. So if you are going to trade Jake Marisnik, oh, okay, that's fine. We'll just call it Michael Hermosillo and let him play. Maybe he'll do really well. Maybe he'll do really crappy. But you have a guy to replace him with. Basically exactly the same kind of guy. Because really, can you tell me a difference between Marisnik and Hermosillo? They're, to me, they're very much the same. Right-handed hitter, really hits lefties very well. Can play all four outfield positions. You, you, you can, they're very similar players. One guy has more league experience, so the team that is trying to salt away the postseason roster spot wants to have Jake Marisnik because they want to have Jake Marisnik to pinch hit in the eighth inning against left-handed pitcher so he can go, what, three for 24 as the team falls apart. You, one way for a predatory team to lose a trade is to misread what you're getting. I think it's reasonably safe to say that 
the Padres misread the return they were going to get for Jake Marisnik. I think that's a fair call. Second way you can lose it is misreading what you're giving away. Um, the Padres knew exactly what they were giving away. I haven't even gotten to him yet. He'd been in their system since 2016. He's had health concerns. Annually. Every year. Since 2016. Had him this year. Started pitching a bit for San, in the San Diego system. And the Cubs talked the Padres out of Anderson um, Anderson Espinosa, but they knew who he was. They knew who Anderson Espinosa was. He'd been around forever. Probably the Padres got to that point where they thought, you know what? This is going to be our gear. And at some point, we're going to make five or six more roster moves. And as much trouble as they had had keeping pitchers healthy, they had so much trouble keeping pitchers healthy. They might have had to have considered running Anderson Espinosa through the waiver wire because they, they had so many pitching injuries. It kind of made sense. Kind of made sense. Since they had so many pitching injuries and since Anderson Espinosa was not going to pitch for the Major League team this year and he might not pitch for the Major League team next year, it kind of made sense. Hey, if we're going to go for it this year, Anderson Espinosa is the kind of piece that they would want to trade. They knew what they were giving away. The third way a team can miss, uh, can lose a major trade is if you miss a marker. If you miss a marker, if there is a trade, I, I like to call these Uber trades. This trade makes sense if we win the World Series. If we don't win the World Series, that's a horrible trade. Eroldis Chapman. Eroldis Chapman for Glaber Torres. People, oh, Glaber Torres, Eroldis Chapman won the World Series for the Cubs. Well, actually, no, he really didn't. He was very important for them winning it, but it wasn't a one person thing. And despite what Chapman did, the Cubs still could have lost the World Series. They were down 3-1 to one with their oldest Chapman. They very well could have lost the World Series. If they would have lost the World Series, then it would have been a, you missed your marker, and is a horrible trade because they didn't win the World Series. Well, if you're... Sometimes that's the way a trade is measured. If you win the World Series. If the Cubs had made it to the World Series with Jose Quintana on the roster, there wouldn't be nearly as many people fussing about the Eloy Jimenez trade. There just wouldn't be because, hey, Cubs made it to the World Series, but they didn't. They were three games away. They missed. So I've talked a bit about Jake Marisnik. Now I want to talk a bit about Anderson Espinosa. I haven't really heard him pitch that much. I really haven't. I prioritize games started by the players who I am less familiar with. And Anderson Espinosa is one of those. His velocity, I put down as 97, 98 as a starter. 
97-98 as a starter, and they keep adding pitches to what he's allowed to throw. I I looked at San Diego's numbers um, as far as what they had him limited to. I didn't jot him down for this uh, this effort, but um, San Diego was very conservative with Anderson Espinoza. He never pitched over three innings. Part of that was because he was walking a lot of people, but he didn't pitch over three innings. Um, don't think he was over 56, 58 pitches, somewhere in that range. It might have been 61. But once the, once he came to the Cubs, the Cubs started to up the ante as far as his pitches. And again, I'm not looking at it right now. At some point, I probably will. Or you might be looking at it and possibly you're hollering at your computer saying, Tim, these are the numbers. These are the pitch counts. That's really what you base things off of. If you are assessing how aggressively is a pitcher being pushed, particularly in the minor leagues, look at the pitch counts. Look at the pitch counts. Look at the pitch counts. Nobody gives a rat's behind about whether the low A team wins a game or not. They are trying to develop the players. They are trying to develop the pitchers. They're trying to get the starting pitcher up to the number that they want him to get to. So if the number for the starting pitcher is supposed to be, oh, let's say it's 65 on a certain day. Starting pitcher gets, uh, his pitch count for the certain day is 65. And he gets to the point where He's finished an inning, and he's a 61. Thank you very much. You're done. You're done. You, you've done You've done all you're going to do. They're not going to send a pitcher back out for, we're going to let you pitch to this next hitter and yank you after four pitches. No, they're not going to do that. So let's say the guy's pitch count is 65, and he comes out for whether it's the fourth inning, the fifth inning, whatever inning it is. He finishes the inning before, pitch count 65. He's like 53 pitches. 53, his limit's 65. We can let him go at least to start. And as soon as he gets out there, as soon as he gets out there, you get somebody warming up in the bullpen. As soon as he gets out, you have somebody start stretching, you have somebody start getting ready, you have somebody start throwing. And if anything even remotely screwy starts to happen, if you have a hitter running up the count to three and two and he fouls off a couple of pitches, pitching coach will go out. say that no rush, you know, no no concern. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. You're no worries. But this is your last hitter. As soon as you're done, as soon as you get this guy out, as soon as this guy reaches, hit, walk, air, whatever, you're done. But let's say guys count pitch count is 65. They send him back out by the first, let's see, say like 57. 57. Second, third pitch, he gets an out. Hmm. 
Okay. 65's his limit. 65's his limit. But right now he's at 60 pitches. And he's got one out in the inning. You have the guy stretching. You have the guy warming up. You have the guy warming up. You're getting ready. You're getting ready to pull him. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes a 65 pitch limit might become a 68 pitch limit. If you're feeling aggressive. And everything is based on the readings. If you know the guy's supposed to be throwing 96 into the fourth inning, and it's the fourth inning, and he's still pitching 95, 96, there's probably nothing too concerning yet. Probably nothing too concerning yet. So you want to extend the pitcher. You don't want to yank him too soon. You want him to get extended, but you want to get him out upright without needing assistance from the trainer. And the Cubs have done a rather good job of with Anderson Espinosa of extending him. His last outing was last weekend, Saturday or Sunday. It was Sunday. Yeah, it was Sunday in uh, Alabama, Rocket City. And Espinosa was in one of those kind of situations where he was running up against the limit. He was running right up against the limit. I think his pitch count was probably going to be like about 75. And he was at about 66 after four innings. And you're thinking, you know, it'd really be kind of cool to get him nine or get, get him five innings so that you can, you know, save the bullpen a little bit, have him have a chance to possibly get the victory, all that kind of stuff. And, they ended up getting him five innings in. And I don't think he went over his count too much. Anderson Espinosa, the 97-98, lasts until the fourth inning as of now. Anderson Espinosa is also rather athletic. There were a number of plays. He took one off his backside or his hip. And I was kind of a little bit concerned. But he shook it off and, you know, continued to pitch on through it. Um, he made a number of plays where he was uh, one grounder that he had to range over to pick up and throw to get the guy out. Um, a number of grounders to the right side of the infield where he had to cover. There was one play where it was the second baseman to the pitcher covering. Second baseman to the pitcher covering. And Espinosa was there. He is athletic. Um Realistically, for Anderson Espinosa, he's not going to be a major league starter. He's not going to be a major league starter, but that's not a concern. That's not a concern with Anderson Espinosa. What you're looking at is a guy who can very possibly be a two-inning reliever throwing 97-98. Two-inning guy, 97-98. Curveballs is number two. He also has a uh, changeup, and he can he can use all three. And there are days where the fastball's not working. There are days when the breaking ball's not working. There are days when the changeup's not working. When he gets down to a one pitch pitcher, then he's out after an inning. 
and that's happened before as well. With Anderson Espinoza, if he stays healthy, he's absolutely fine. There is no con- there's no concern. Um, the control waivers again. It's tied to how many pitches are getting over. Assessing the Jake Marisnik trade. To assess a trade, you really ought to assess it from both sides. The Cubs gave up a player who was almost as extraneous as you can have on a team that's struggling. They had a player in the minor leagues who was almost as good as the guy who, was, who they were giving up, possibly as good as the guy they were giving up, and the player that they were going to be calling up has team control if the team wants him. And in exchange, the Cubs got a guy who, in 2023, might be another version of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to look at this list here. Uh, he might be another version of Manny Rodriguez. Might be another version of Tommy Nance. Might be another version of Cody Hoyer. He might be another version of Michael Rucker. He might be another version of Trevor McGill. I'm just tossing out names of guys that um, are in the bullpen this, this season. Guys that you ought to be aware of. He could be similar to any of them. And one thing about Anderson Espinoza, he should be able to go two innings because he's a minor league starter. He's a minor league starting pitcher. He has 97, 98 in the tank, and he has three pitches. He could be able to go two innings. And here's here's the honest-to-goodness truth, perfect honest-to-goodness truth. If he hadn't had two Tommy John surgeries and another arm surgery, and missed the 2020 season, because everybody missed the 2020 season except for major leaguers, he might be a starter. He might be an honest-to-God, actual, realistic starter. I don't see the Cubs using Espinosa's starter. But if the entire trade is, the Cubs traded an extraneous piece that they improved on, at least pretty close to improved on, by calling up a guy from the minor leagues. And got a pitcher who might be, like I said, he could be Cody Hoyer. He could be Manny Rodriguez. He could be Michael Rucker. He, he, he could be any of those types of players. And the Cubs have him basically forever. Basically forever. The one little uh, asterisk in this podcast. The asterisk in the podcast is it's very useful. Very useful to do two things. Two things. One, have players in your minor league pipeline who, as needed, can adequately fill in. Players in your minor league pipeline who, hey, if something happens, we can call up this guy, whoever this guy is, and plug him into the lineup. Uh, Cubs have done fairly well on that. I I just mentioned a handful of pitchers, yes? Um, Then they also called up Patrick Wisdom. They also called up um, 
Frank Swindell. Called up Greg Dykeman. He hasn't done a whole lot yet. Called up Rafael Ortega. Called up Alfonso Rivas. They've done fairly well calling players up from the minor leagues this year. So yeah, if a team can get to the point where even if they're not superstar, um, star-studded, five-star prospects, if you have guys who, yeah, I can call this guy up and use him. You know, if everything goes haywire, call up this guy. Maybe you'll be a one-win above player. Maybe he'll be okay. Maybe he'll be adequate. Teams ought to get to a point where that is the expectation. If fans are not looking at the AAA roster, saying, hey, can this guy fill in if everything goes haywire? One of the things I absolutely love about listening to Alex Cohen doing a game, particularly the relievers, particularly the relievers, but I haven't heard him have really good starter to talk about. Did pretty well with Colin Ray with that, though, as well. He will do the concept of if the Cubs need a player to fill in, in the bullpen, due to injuries, this guy and this guy are the two best guys right now in the Cubs bull, in the I-Cubs bullpen. If the Cubs need a guy, this guy here or this guy here, those are the two that you'd call up information. He's watching the games all the time. He is very knowledgeable. He knows the game. He's been doing the announcing thing at all kinds of sorts of different levels. He knows what quality is. Also, he watches baseball games at the major league level all the time. So he knows what he's talking about. A team should have useful players in the minor leagues at all the levels all the time. And if that's not the case, somebody's screwing up. Somebody's screwing up somewhere big time. Back in the 2012, 2013, 2014 range, when the Cubs would run out of pitchers, we need a pitcher, we, you know, this guy got injured, this guy got traded, this guy got whatever. And they'd call someone up from the minor leagues? As often as not, they'd be terrible. They'd be absolutely terrible. And you know what? If you were paying attention to them in AAA, you'd expect these guys are going to be terrible. Why would you expect that? Because they're terrible in AAA. If a pitcher's terrible in AAA, they're probably not going to be really good at the major league level. Hey, it can happen. doesn't usually, though. Normally, the guys that will do well at the major league level are the guys who, an astute announcer who knows what the hell he's talking about. This guy's better in this league. This guy is absolutely carving this league. He's proven everything he has to here. There is no reason he is still at this level. Seem pretty blunt. <laughs> when you start getting, when you start hearing something, something like that, the thing is, I've heard that a lot this year. I've heard that about Manny Rodriguez. Heard about Tommy Nance. Heard that same basic sort of thing about Scott Efros recently. Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, I definitely heard that about. Um, 
Adam Morgan was carving AAA before he got called up. Scott F. Ross. Um, Brendan Little isn't quite there yet. But a team should have quality at AAA. It, it, it shouldn't be an argument. Next year, Anderson Espinoza will probably start at the AA level. My guess is he will start at AA as a starting pitcher because that's probably where he should be. And that's probably what he should be doing. And they will slowly ramp him up, provided he's healthy, and get him to the point where he's getting in 60, 70 pitches at double A. Then, if he gets to the point where he's getting in 60, 70 pitches at double A, and he's generally doing rather well, he kicks butt up to triple A. I don't know if they would use him as a starter or reliever at AAA. My guess is probably starter because they have a whole hell of a lot of relievers. So you plug in Anderson Espinosa as a starter at AAA with the full intention to move him to the Wrigley Field bullpen as soon as applicable. And if he's doing well in AAA, then you assess it from there. And if it's a situation where he's actually pitching well into the fifth or sixth inning, then all that stuff that that idiot Tim was saying about, about him not being a starter, now screw that. But if it's to the point where he's doing really well at AAA for three or four innings, and then he kind of falls off, then you're looking more like at a guy who is probably going to be a two-inning reliever at the major league level. Anderson Espinosa for Jake Marisnik was a fantastic trade for the Cubs. For the Padres, it hasn't worked out well yet. But it doesn't mean it's a complete failure on their end. It doesn't mean it was stupid. And if Anderson Espinosa is really good with the Cubs, that doesn't necessarily mean he was necessarily ever going to be really good with the Padres because you get the butterfly effect thing going on. You never quite know. You never quite know what was being taught here, what was being learned there. And once he moved from Fort Wayne to South Bend, he might have heard some different things. He might have started learning things differently. I, you, it's really difficult to assess what would have happened, which is why the entire Lou Brock trade um, arguments fall apart. Because Lou Brock was probably never going to change as long as he was, as long as he kept being told the same things that the Cubs had been telling him. Anderson Espinosa is a fantastic trade for the Cubs. As far as for the um, Padres, it's a bit too early to tell, but it doesn't look particularly good for them yet. For it to actually work, he'd probably have to get a bit hot down the stretch and be on the postseason roster. Be on the postseason roster, not only be on the postseason roster, but San Diego would almost have to win the wild card round, get to the division series, 
and have Hermosillo do something positively in the division series as they at least get close to the LCS. But if if Hermosillo just fades into nothing and the Padres miss the playoffs or the Padres get eliminated in the wild card, it's not going to be a good trade for the Padres. It won't be... It won't necessarily be as bad as the other two that they did right in succession right before the end of the year because really they gave up a whole lot more there. And they expected a lot more. But if you're talking about... I hold this to to be true. If you're assessing the, the aggressive team in a trade, if you misread what you're getting, if you misread what you're giving away, or if you miss a marker, it was a bad trade. It was a bad trade. If San Diego does not reach the division championship series, it's really going to be hard to say anything but the Anderson Espinosa trade was a flop. It's going to be very hard to say anything but that. And it'll be real easy to say it was. Anderson Espinosa. The book is still open. I really haven't written down a whole lot on him yet. But um, as far as for the Cubs, it's looking really good so far. He really doesn't even have to do anything other than represent. Now, if it's a situation where Anderson Espinosa is probably like two or three starts away from being called up to the major leagues and something happens and he uh, twists an ankle and he missed some time and then he comes back and then he has a problem with his shoulder or his elbow because he had twisted his ankle. It'd be very unfortunate. It'd be very unfortunate because Anderson Espinosa does look like a major league pitcher. But in reality, the Cubs, in calling up Michael Hermosillo, got more than they gave away in Jake Winsnick. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great rest of your week. And I will probably look back at another trade here soon.